You are listening to episode number 29 of The Love Noteworthy Show. Welcome to The Love Noteworthy Show, the guide to creating a business, brand, and life you love, taken from the lessons of female entrepreneurs, influencers, game changers, and change makers who have already made it happen. Welcome back, everyone, to the Love Noteworthy Show. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Reese, and today we are going to be talking all about how to cultivate creativity on demand. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to today than Nicole Bridger, owner of Nicole Bridger Designs. And before we dive in with her, I'm going to give you a little brief background into her history, and we'll elaborate on it throughout the interview. So born and raised in Vancouver, Nicole Bridger received her Bachelor's of Applied Arts in Fashion Design. After taking an internship in London with Vivian Westwood, Nicole aligned herself with Chip Wilson, the owner of Lululemon, and together they founded Ococo, which became a pioneer in the North American eco-fashion market. A few years of nurturing the growth of Ococo, and Nicole was poised to unite her passion for fashion, or for high fashion and eco-consciousness, and in 2008, Nicole Bridger Designs was born. Today, as a mother and social entrepreneur, Nicole strives to make positive contributions to her community and environment through the products she creates and the people she connects with. She's fueled by a desire to create clothes that make all women feel beautiful, modern, and unique. And as I said, we're going to be talking all about cultivating creativity on demand because Nicole is continually conceptualizing new uh, collections and designing new outfits. And we're going to learn all about how she does that and how maybe you can apply some creativity in your business. So thanks so much for being here, Nicole. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So why don't we talk a little bit more about your history? I kind of alluded to the fact that you did an applied arts degree in fashion design, but tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. What kind of piqued your interest in fashion when you were younger? Were you always creative? Did you always like clothes and designing? Hmm. I had a vast Barbie collection growing up as a kid. Um, I don't know, probably like a hundred Barbies, something ridiculous. And like these houses and stuff and and I I remember spending a lot of time with these Barbies and I loved the clothes I inherited um my mom's friend's daughter who was a kid in the 70s um all of her Barbies and clothing so I had all these 70s clothes to dress them up in and the platform shoes and stuff oh my gosh it was so fun so I think that's like definitely where it started um I started sewing little outfits for my Barbies and um altering the outfits and changing them to how I would want them and um and then I started to actually sew myself in grade seven we um in home ec we were taught how to sew and the first thing we sewed was boxers I went to a all-girls private school for 13 years in Vancouver and so we used to wear boxer shorts underneath our kilt. So that was the, the very first thing that I ever made. And um, and I loved it. I really loved sewing. I had a, a real knack for it. But um, I didn't think that it would be a suitable career. So I continued on my sort of science path. I was in um, APE um, bio or biography. And so I was really into science, and I thought I'd be a vet or something. And um, 
And then it wasn't until I was 16 and um, I had my first boyfriend, my first love, and he and I were together for four years, and his dad is a well-known shoe designer in Vancouver. And, well, I mean, he's global. It's uh, John Flubach Shoes. And John was like a second dad to me for four years. And I saw that I could do what I love doing and make a, a decent living from it. So at 16, I decided, oh, I want to, I want to have, you know, make apparel and I want to own my own business and I want to have my own stores. And, and that's how I could, could make a possible living from doing what I love doing. Um, and at that time I had no idea what that path looked like. It was not a very traditional path in my family. So Mm -hmm. my, my dad is a dentist and my mother's a nurse. So, um, hence the science (laughs) direction. Um, and so I found out that, uh, Ryerson university in Toronto had a fantastic, um, program that you could actually get a degree in fashion design and, my parents, though, they've been incredibly supportive. Um, they were happy to know that just in case I changed my mind, that I would have a degree, that it would, you know, those years at school wouldn't uh, be wasted, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's sort of how that went. Okay. And so tell us about landing your internship with Vivian Westwood in London. How did that come about? In third year at Ryerson, they do an exchange um, program for one student goes to London, one goes to Australia, and there's one that goes somewhere else. And so I was selected to be the uh, UK student. And for me, I was most excited to go there for the opportunity to work with her. I um, first discovered Vivian Westwood when I was in New York, when I was 17, I think, with John Fluvog and his son. And John took me into her store and, and showed me um, showed me what she's all about. And I just I knew then that um, you know I had such an appreciation for what she was doing. Um, and so when I went, the school didn't help with um, the internship. Like it was all up to me to go and and find the internship. And so I went. I let them know I was coming. They said, come on down and, and show us your portfolio and we'll do an interview. So I went down and um, and did the interview and, and they said, oh, well, this is great, but, you know, we really have enough interns right now. Um, we're not looking for any more. And so I left and got like halfway down the block and thought, like, this is the only reason that I'm here mm-hmm. is to work here. Like, I can't take no. They can't say no. So I walked back and went back into the office and said, listen, just, just give me like three days to prove myself and you, and you won't be sorry. And they said, okay. And I ended up being one of the best interns that they had at the time. I really worked my ass off. I was there day and night, weekends, like I just lived to work. And, um, I think I was there for like almost uh, eight months. I think I was there. And, um, I did get a chance to work alongside her and got to work on sewing and uh, drawing and work on the Paris uh, Fashion Week. So it was an amazing experience. And um, she she was very interesting for me because I had, 
I had a few questions going into it that I'm trying to piece together in my mind about the industry. And one of it was that I'm not a fashionista. I am really down to earth and I wasn't sure if I would have to change that to be in the industry. And, and she really showed me that you could be whoever you are and still be successful. Um, I also learned her way of draping, which is really cool. And um, and I also saw that she was going through a bankruptcy. And I saw that I needed to learn business, that I wasn't going to be able to help anybody if I couldn't make a, you know, a successful business. So um, I came back to do fourth year, because that was just for third year, Fourth year, I came back to Canada, to Ryerson, and uh, did a minor in entrepreneurship, and I really loved it for my fourth year. I really liked um, business and marketing and finance, um, so that sparked my interest in, uh, you know, in the business side. Oh, that's fantastic. And so you developed this relationship with Vivian Westwood. Are you still in touch with her today, or...? Mm. No, I, I doubt she would remember who I was, really. They have so, <laughs> they have so many interns that go through there. Yeah, I can imagine. When I was there, um, I think I was one of five or seven that were there at the time. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and so from that experience, you, how did you go from that to finishing your degree to working with Chip Wilson to create Okoko? So... After I finished my degree, I knew that I wanted to live in Vancouver, even though it was not necessarily the fashion center of Canada, but um, I wasn't happy in Toronto. And so for me, obviously being happy is important. And, mm -hmm. and I love Vancouver and my family was here. So I moved back here and a friend of mine um, had started a company and asked if I would come on board and be their designer. And so as I was getting to know the company, I sort of had some questions about it and, and wasn't totally clear on the vision. So I had worked some summers for Chip at Lululemon doing hemming and alterations and uh, gave him a call, said, hey, do you mind if I come by? I, I'm sort of grappling with this idea. And so I went over and sat on his couch and talked about this idea. And afterwards, he said, don't start a company with them. Start one with me. I want to do something new. Lululemon's starting to be successful, and I want to replicate it. I mean, he's a true entrepreneur that way. Like, he's always got new ideas and always eager to start things. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I said, sure, but I want to start my own company, actually, is my goal. And so I will do this for you for a year, but I want to have my hands in everything. I don't want to just be the designer. I want to be able to see the marketing side and the accounting side and, and get a real understanding for how this works. And he said, okay. And so I ended up being there for over two years and, um, and then was ready to start my own. Oh, that's great. And so tell us a little bit more about the actual process of developing the brand and being hands-on and what you learned from the experience. So I found um, a program called the Self-Employment Program, and you can make, um, your, you create your business plan over six months, 
and um, they take you through the whole process. And so that was amazing because otherwise, honestly, I don't know if I would have really done my due diligence around creating a business plan. Um, and with the business plan, I got my first seed capital and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I created the brand with the, and the brand name has been the same, but uh, the branding has changed. It's evolved over the years. Um, I, I think it's been what it is now, at least for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I started in my parents' basement in Vancouver. I bought a couple machines, I bought a table, and I started drafting patterns and sewing samples and um, taking them around to stores and filling orders. And it's, I mean, it's hard work. I was a one-woman show in my parents' basement um, doing everything, trying to, yeah, start the line. The first line was only five styles, I think. That's crazy. And when you first, when did you knew the time was right to break off and just start your own brand? Um, from Lulu. So that, what I'm talking about was my own brand. Um, when I started in my parents' basement and yeah, created yeah. five. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was really depressed at Lulu and I think it was because I was, I had learned everything that I was meant to learn from that experience and um, felt stuck. Like I wasn't learning anymore. I wasn't excited. I And really I wanted to start my own company. And mm-hmm. my mom, I can remember like being like, mom, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave. And <laughs> bless her. She's like, Oh no, no, no. You just, you got a paying job in the industry. Like <laughs> just, just, just you stick it out. Like don't yeah. leave now. And so I stayed and stayed and I just got more miserable, you know, instead of, instead of leaving and following my heart. Yeah. That sounds like and, my parents um, too. They're like, right? your first job out of university, you have to stick it out for at least two years right. to make it legitimate on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> So then, um, and Chip saw that too. He saw that I was getting um, unhappy and um, and just talked to me about it. And so we mutually decided it was time. Thank goodness. Because I, <laughs> I gave him a huge hug and said, thank you. Because I didn't have the balls to do it myself, which was, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so that was time. Oh, my goodness. And so when you first started designing... Where did you come up with the ideas for the first five uh, pieces that you did? And how did you know where to pitch them to? Or how did you even pitch them to stores or get into stores? So in the business plan, you have to decide, you know, who is your target market? How are you going to sell it? So all of that is laid out. Mm, okay. So I knew the kind of demographic I was making these clothes for. So I designed the clothes for them. And of course, as a designer, it's also... Um, a balance of what you like and want to create, and then, um, and then I knew the stores that I would want think would be suitable to sell it in, and I just went directly to them and approached them and showed them samples. Mm, okay, okay. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. So one of the things that I really love about your brand is um, not only the clothing, but also just kind of the vision or the message behind it. So can you tell the audience what makes your company unique from other fashion labels out there and sort of the different uh, themes for the intentions for your new collections and all that stuff 
So the um, the mantra or philosophy of my company is I am love, and it's about coming from that pure place of love in all that you do, in all the different facets of your life. Um, and so how that shows up in a company is kind of three-prong. One is um, to do what is right for the earth is people and spirit. So for the earth, I am sourcing as sustainable fabrics as I can possibly find, and that's always changing and with technology and... and um, the textile industry. And then for the people, it's about ethical manufacturing. So 90-ish percent of our product is made at our own factory here in Vancouver, where we actually have personal relationships with all of the sewers. And the other 10, 5, 10% is um, made at a fair trade factory in Nepal. Hmm. So it's important to me that that it's made in a way that we can feel good about. And then for spirit, I sew, well, not me, but we sew a label that says, I am love, into each piece of clothing. And that's a reminder to the wearer to come from that place of love in all that that you do in your own life. So, you know, is it the way that you're speaking to yourself in the morning? Is it, um, you know, how you're communicating with others and, you know, how mindful you are in your day-to-day, really? Okay. And tell us about, I love this story, so I want you to tell everyone too, um, about your last collection, the I Am Enough campaign. So I um, draw inspiration from life lesson every time that I'm designing a collection. That's just what inspires me. I'm always excited about personal growth and spirituality. And and so that collection um, is called I am in a fall uh, 14. And what was going on at that time, I was um, going to Toronto to be on Dragon's Den and felt like I, you know, probably needed to lose some weight and go be on the show and all this pressure of like, you know, coming from a place of disliking myself. And so I was on this plan and I just realized like, this is not, this is not in line at all for me. This is not loving myself and I thought well what if what if I just loved myself just as I am not like oh when I lose 10 pounds then I'll like myself so as a kind of personal experiment I just started to say nice things to myself and not like I didn't notice things when I looked in the mirror but I would stop myself from saying unkind things and I would say I'm beautiful just as I am so it was It took some time for it to really um, feel real and authentic. And obviously, it's a challenge all the the time. It's not like now I'm just Mm -hmm. awesome at it, but but definitely so much better. And and I realized, you know, it is, it's all about perception. And and it's all about, this collection is about being enough. Like, I am enough just as I am. I am deserving and worthy of, of all the dreams and goals that I have for myself and um and I can do this really Mm -hmm. that's so awesome I love that um okay so I know you recently did a talk about creative climate and mindfulness so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that what is a creative climate and mindfulness um, so that talk was for Creative Mornings, and every month they have a different 
theme, and the, that month was climate. So I started the talk by talking about climate change, which is sort of an obvious direction that we go to with the word climate. Mm -hmm. And I shared some information around the the current state of the world. And um, but it was kind of interesting. Like I sort of had everybody think about what they were wearing and if they knew how it was made or what it was made of and and gave some stats around the the effects that the apparel industry has. Like I used an example of China. So there's a, a lot of mills, not just in China, but also Indonesia and India that are dumping toxic waste into rivers. And not only are these rivers, you know, all connected to the oceans of the world, which is, you know, it's one world, mm -hmm. but the surrounding villages, um, that these rivers are their only source to clean water and fish. And so, for example, right now in China, there's 320 million people that don't have access to clean water, which is, it's just crazy. Yeah. And it's estimated that in like 50 years that our oceans are going to be dead. So that's like in our lifetime that, you know, we won't be able to fish anymore, that we won't have sea life, like there's huge uh, repercussions to the toxicity that's happening right now. Um, and then there's also an estimated 35 million slaves in the world right now. And um, most of which are in India, Indonesia. Um, and those are men, women, and children. And I can't say for certain how many are in the apparel industry, but I know that the apparel industry definitely relies heavily on um, slave labor. So, you know, if you knew that though that shirt that you were wearing today um, meant somebody was being was being tortured or was suffering, so that you could have that shirt, or that you were contributing to the a more toxic planet, like you know, would you have chosen that, or would you would you make a different choice if that choice was available to you? So that was. The first bit of the talk was just talking about climate change, and I think it's really important for us all to acknowledge the current state of the world because we are all responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Everybody wears clothes, and it's our choice, and we need to take care and, and make it different. So um, just becoming a more conscious consumer, really. Um, and so then I wanted to talk about other climates that exist as creative professionals, which, um, you know, we exist in this, the climate of the city that you live in, um, the economy, are people buying what you're selling, uh, what about your personal life, or the state of your working life, and the atmosphere there, um, and also the state of your mind, um, because as creative professionals, we, we're constantly having to judge our, our work, and, um, you know, there's there's a way in which it can be uh, benefiting us to constantly improve our work and sharpen our tool. And then there's a way where our inner critic can really um, stop our creative flow. Mm -hmm. And so being aware of all of these different climates and how they affect our creativity and, um, and not playing victim to them, but seeing how um, you can leverage them or change them or, um, you know, so that you're you're setting yourself up to to win really yeah that's so great i love that and just going back to what you said about how everybody wears clothing and we just need to be more conscious of 
kind of where this clothing is being sourced. I think that's so important, especially today. It's scary, all of the projections on how the environment's going to de- degrade over our lifetimes for our generation. Yeah. It's like alarming. But... Yeah, it is, it is scary and it can be totally overwhelming. And um, I think it's important not to not to feel overwhelmed, but feel empowered by by making different choices. Yeah, you can you can change it. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit more about creativity? And so how do you cultivate creativity on demand? So you must be constantly thinking up new collections, because once your new one comes out, you have to think of like the next season and um, just being creative in terms of the marketing of your business and how you're sourcing your products and just so many different elements. How do you consistently stay kind of top of your on top of your game? What I consider it is like staying in flow or staying aligned. Mm -hmm. So for me, I actually feel that um, creativity really comes from source. So it's not our brains creating it. It's actually when we're more aligned with source that that it is delivered to us. So yes, you need to use your brain as a tool, but that's what it is. It's a tool. So for me to stay connected... um, to source, I have like a regular meditation practice. So every morning I try and do 30 minutes, like 20, 30 minutes um, before my son wakes up. And if that doesn't happen, that's okay. You know, I'll do a few minutes in the car when I'm parked outside of my office or maybe just some breathing in the shower. Um, But uh, at least every day at some point, I am taking time to center myself, to um, reconnect and to make sure that I'm coming from that that place, that really honest place. Um, that's probably the most powerful thing, and it's a daily practice. Um, and then if I'm really grappling with something, if, if that isn't enough for me to stay in, in flow, um, then I will go and spend time outside, which I try and do on a regular basis anyways, not as like a mayday fix it thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, every week, at least a couple times a week, I want to go walk the beach or walk the forest. And obviously that's not always possible, but I do find that if I haven't, that I start to go a little bit crazy and just need to go be with nature and quiet and, and those answers always come, like, or the flow comes. And so um, I think a lot of creative individuals or creative professionals, because everybody's actually creative, but people who are professionally creative, um, that there's a lot of pressure around that. And it could be scary when you don't feel in flow because, you know, you're scared that, that it's not going to come too. Mm-hmm. So having those kind of practices that you can come back to that, you know, help you align and everybody would be different to, to what helps them get into the flow. Yeah. And I mean, we're so fortunate in Vancouver because it is kind of like a big little city in that there's the skyscrapers and all of that, but we're surrounded by ocean and there's beautiful parks like Stanley park or queen Elizabeth that you can kind of get lost in and have some quiet time. It's so true. Um, You know, I was just spending some time in New York with a friend of mine and watching, you know, all of them with their kids and how they live in New York and the 
you know, it's it's not necessarily possible for them to, on their lunch break, go have an hour-long walk on the beach or mm. walk in the forest, you know. We really are so fortunate in Vancouver to have that green space, and it's really important that we continue to um, make the, the city um, keep, preserve that because it's really at risk to, you know, being turned into um, city space. So making sure that there is green space within the urban, um, within an urban setting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, do you, I think you already answered this, but do you think that creativity comes naturally to people or do you think that creativity is a skill that people need to develop or sort of a combination of both? Um, I think that everybody is creative. I mean, creative means creating, right? Like mm -hmm. when you birth a child, you are creating. When you build a home, you are creating. Um, when you create a new way of your team communicating, that requires creativity. When you're seeing um, a new solution in accounting, um, you know, maybe a new way of crunching numbers, something th that's creative. So it looks different. Creative is not just being able to paint a pretty picture, you know, like the, I think that everybody requires creativity to exist. Um, I think that it's like any muscle that the more you practice, the more you play with it, the easier it gets to tap into it. So, you know, the more push-ups I do every day, the better I'm going to be at doing push-ups. The more I um, am drawing, the better I'm going to get at it. I think that there are people who have a natural talent for certain things. Uh, you know, somebody is really drawn to pottery and somebody else is really drawn to textiles. Somebody else is really drawn to, you know, uh, science. But those... To me, there's still creativity in science, you know. So mm -hmm. um, I think we have things that we are naturally talented to and are drawn to, which is really cool. But um, but everybody is has the ability. Mm. And I have a follow-up question for you. So do you believe that it's important to be accepted by others as being creative? Or is just doing what you love enough to justify your work? I think um, that if you're looking for acceptance from others, that you're never going to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I think that you first have to um, accept yourself. And when you do accept yourself just as you are, then you no longer are seeking that validation from other people. That's on a deeper level. If you are hoping to make money at <laughs> what it is that you're creating, then, uh, yeah, there's a certain level of adaptation that, or, like, adoption that's going to um, be required. Um, but, you know, I think that being true to yourself is the most important thing, first and foremost, and that, that the financial support will follow. Yeah, that's great advice for any profession, really. Um, okay, let's shift gears and talk a little bit more about the business side of your business. <laughs> and um, so if somebody is very a uh, creative talent and they're able to come up with new concepts, 
each season or have tons of ideas for a fashion line, but they don't have any business acumen, what are some key things that people need to know how to do on the business side of things that you have realized is important? I think the most important thing as an individual is that you are aware of your strengths and your weaknesses and um, that you bring people in who are the opposite of you. So don't bring somebody in who's just like you that's just going to you know, be as str- strong as you in the creative side. You need to bring somebody in who's the opposite of you and is stronger in the business side. Um, so be aware of what you're good at and what you're not. And if you're not good at the business side, um, bring somebody in who will take care of it. Because if, if you're not on top of your financials and the business, then um, it's very stressful. And it can, you know, it can, you can go bankrupt. So um, what I would say um, for people who, before they can afford to bring somebody in, um, <clears throat> is pay to at least have a bookkeeper come in like once a week or once every month, depending on how busy and big your business is. Um, in the beginning, make sure that your, your books are set up and taken care of and that you have regular monthly financial reporting that they can explain to you and that um, that you have an understanding of the financial health of the business. Because if that isn't okay, then, you know, what's the point, mm-hmm. really? You know, if you want to create a business, it needs to be, it needs to make sense financially. If you just want to paint and it's not about making money, then then paint and go make a living some other way, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you don't necessarily have to make money from something that you love doing. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I would say that, yeah. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about uh, with my friends in terms of pursuing your passions. Um, a lot of times people obviously can't pursue their passions and it be profitable right away. So just using mm-hmm. either their nine to five or a side job or something as the means to the end is just a way that you can kind of still do what you're passionate about, but not necessarily make the money that you need to right off the bat or even in the long yep. term. So, yeah, but for the few individuals that get to do what they love and make money from it, that's the most ideal situation. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you just can't help yourself. You've got something so burning inside you that um, you just can't, you can't ignore it. You have to follow it and see what happens. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, So let's go back to talking about hiring. So tell us about hiring your first few employees. When did you know the time was right? And what did you look for in candidates? Did you just follow your gut? Or did you use like a formalized procedure for hiring people? I have always followed my gut. And I've never been very uh, official um, with these kinds of things. And now but we have 35 employees and so now things have to start getting more legitimate. <laughs> so, um, but in the beginning when it was just me, I had some interns that would come in and out and that was great. And then um, when I was ready to open the store, I was looking 
to hire a manager that would essentially, you know, take care of the store and, um, and treat it as their own. And just some time before, I felt, feel like it was a year or two before, um, Kim, who is still my store manager now, she approached me and said, Hey, I just really love what you're doing. Um, you know, if you ever open a store, let me know. And, um, she also came from Lululemon and that's how we knew, knew each other. And, um, and then I, and I said, yeah, I'm, I am looking at opening a store and then I got pregnant. So I put it on hold. So then a year or two later, I got back onto it. I think when my son was like one and a half, um, I opened up my store. So that's three and a half years ago. And Kim has, um, she's been with me that entire time and is my rock. Like she, she is my right hand and she really, I think like first and foremost, um, she really believes in the vision Mm -hmm. that, that I have. And, um, and she puts her all into it. Like she really, she does, she treats it like it's her own. And that's, it's so amazing when you find people like that to come into your team that are like partners, um, not employees, and we're friends, and we really respect one another and care for each other, and it just makes um, for a really amazing business relationship and and working environment. So then I have let her do all the hiring and firing for store staff. So I'm not a part of that. Um, and I had an intern for about a year that was with me um, in my parents' basement. And then when I opened the, when I bought the factory, um, I was able to hire her on as a full-time technical designer, basically. I mean, she does way more than just technical design. She basically executes everything for for the line mm. um and her name is also kim <laughs> so, i have my two strongest are both kim's um and she got to spend a year with me as an intern so i really knew her well and after a year of having her one day a week i couldn't see not having her so i mean i couldn't really afford it but i justified it somehow and and brought her in and um and she's still with me today as well and um same thing really believes in the vision and is incredibly dedicated you know works really hard she is the opposite of me like she what i was saying before is that she's very organized type a i'm like visionary and she executes and makes it like organized and on time so that's where she really compliments me um, and we work really well together. And then I also um, had to hire a production manager to um, manage the factory, an accountant, um, pattern maker. You know, there's a lot of people. And those people all, you know, in really interesting kind of ways, all kind of magically arrived at my door in some way or another. And so for me, I do allow things to, like, flow how they're meant to. And I believe that people come into your life at the right time for the right reasons if you if you're open to it um but as the company grows i'm gonna have to become a little bit more strategic with my hiring Mm -hmm. but that's yeah that's so cool the backstory of how you've kind of built your the beginnings of your team 
And I love mm-hmm. that just the alignment with your vision is more important than than having a prestigious background or that sort of thing, right? Like I think that's so important yeah. in this especially for small business owners when they're first starting out. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple more questions for you. My second to last one is how do you want people to remember you? Like if I were to die? Yeah, if you were going to die tomorrow. (laughs) Or if Um, you were going to leave a legacy for the world over the next uh, 70 years. I think I would love it if I didn't die just quite yet because I really (laughs) want to make this... this, um, company really successful and show that it is possible to, um, you know, create apparel that you love in a, in a way that's respectful, um, and mindful and show people, you know, a new way of living. I think, um, I mean, even in the way that I raised my son, I, I mean, that's, if I were to think of what are, are most important to me in my life, it would be, you know, my son, my friends and family and my business. Um, those are, those are the most important things to me right now. And, um, when I die, I hope that people would remember me to have been a visionary who was fearless to go after what she thought was possible. That, uh, someone who is very generous and kind and loving and compassionate, um, that somebody who helped you feel like you could be more of who you are, um, that, um, that also really appreciated the fine, like the small things in life that, um, you know, appreciate a beautiful sunset or a beautiful flower or a great conversation with a dear friend, you know, those kinds of things. Um, Yeah, I think that's how I would like to be remembered. I love that. (coughs) I mean, I can certainly be the similar sentiments for a lot of people, I think. Um, Okay, so the final question that I have for you today, and this is something that I ask all of the guests on the show, is what is your number one tip for how others can be more love noteworthy in their business and their lives? And just to give you a bit of background from the love noteworthy show, um, the whole concept kind of is derived from two different words that were mashed together. So one of them is just living a life uh, with the qualities of love notes. So just being very sincere and passionate and personalized and thoughtful and meaningful and authentic and just, yeah, very in every aspect of your life. And then also noteworthy. So how can you have an it factor, or a unique brand offering or leave a mark on the world? So what's your number one tip? I would say just be who you are. I mean, that's, um, that's as authentic as you can possibly be. And when you are not trying so hard to be something else or an image that you feel you're supposed to be, that you are really journeying inward. And it's in that journey inward where um, there's so much um, love and joy and healing and you really do appreciate those 
those little things in life and um, enjoy all the different flavors of life, the, you know, the easy times and the difficult times. And so I would say, um, you know, spend some time figuring out who it is that you, you truly are and, and just stay there, be that. And from that, you will be noteworthy. I don't think there's any other way of, of, of being any more noteworthy than, than who you really are. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for enlightening us with all of your tips on creativity and business and insights into life and the future. I hope that as Mm -hmm. an audience, you all took away a lot of key points from this. And I would love for you to share your tips on how you stay creative in your business or in your studies or in your day to day life with us. And so you can definitely comment in the comment section below or tweet us or reach out. And I know Nicole's uh, social media team is really great about responding as well. So I will leave all of her contact information in the show notes as well. Um, And with that, have a fantastic week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening again. I'm really grateful for you to be uh, consistently listening to our programming each week. And any final words from you, Nicole? No, just thank you very much for having me. Thank you. 